a chill has fallen over Gotham. Freeze is back in town, and only one man can stop him. But he's going to need all the help he can get. It's going to get cold this summer. Very cold. Sub-Zero. Hey everybody, this is Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. This is podcast number 154. This podcast is part of the the Batman Universe Podcast Network. And you can help support the Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash the Batman Universe. Now Tim. Yes, Dave? Baseball season has started. Yes, it is finally back. And I I don't know if you know this, Tim, but this is big breaking news, right? (laughs) <laughs> the, the the A's are tied for last place <laughs> the ALS. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, but, well, see, you know, I'm sorry, Dane, but I haven't been keeping full tabs on the Oakland A's probably as much as I should, <laughs> given know how too. much you love them. But I thought they were doing okay at the start of the season. So I guess the last few games haven't been that great. Uh. The last five games. <laughs> yeah, well, that's about more than half of the season so far. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like what, what is uh, the record? Three and six. Okay. So uh, their winning percentage is three three three. Uh, <laughs> it's it's tied with the with the Rangers, and I think the only reason why the Rangers are in last right now is because A becomes uh, comes before R. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing like, yeah. not has to do with percentages or anything like that, just alphabetically. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 a combination, Tim, of just blowouts, I'd say, uh close losses and heartbreakers. Like like last night. They, yeah, I know uh, that one was a bad one. <laughs> they they went up six nothing and then for some reason in like the third inning they gave like five runs. And then they ended up losing like twelve to ten or twelve to eleven or something. Or twelve. Wait, I have to look this up. It was kind of well, bad. Oh, if it makes you feel sorry, better. Sorry, uh, thirteen to nine. Yeah, so not as close as that. <laughs> Yankees had a tough loss last night as well. If that makes you feel any better, Dave. They went to like fifteen innings. They lost about four or five players due to injury or illness. Oh. And they lost like in 15 innings off a of grand slam by the Orioles, like the worst night ever. <laughs> yeah, D- does um, does Stanton always wear that extra ear protector thing? Ever since he got hit in the yeah, face, yeah, two or three years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. But, but Yankees, I, they won today. So yeah. as we're recording this podcast right now, they're five and four. So not a great start, but not a horrible start. It's kind of like okay, <laughs> they're over 500. So that's I guess that's a good thing well it's a new team and you know it's a new coach mm-hmm. but like unfortunately for the A's it's it's gonna be a long <laughs> season too. just like a precursor of what's to come for the yeah. rest of the season <laughs> yeah because they they scored one in the first five in the second for some reason I think there was a grand slam and then uh the A's scored four in the fourth and then two yeah so it wasn't a pretty loss. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, right now might be as good as it gets because they're only three under 500 and hopefully we'll get that much (laughs) bigger than that. Yeah, on the positive, they're only three under under the the 500 mark. Um, It's just great that baseball is back. At least you could say that for maybe the first month, but then after that, you probably get start frustrated if your team's not doing good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I never, I don't really expect them to, you know, win the pennant, you know, <laughs> win the ALDS or the CS. I've heard, I've heard so. from some analysts on like MLB Network saying, you know, they're not Oakland might not be as bad as you think, and they might surprise you a little bit. So. Not from what I've seen necessarily. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how do I say this? Uh, it's still early, though, Dean. Still early. <laughs> uh, it's inconsistent, is what I'd say. So yeah, you score five runs in the second, but then you give up nine, right? <laughs> in yeah. the in the next three innings, right? So yeah, it, it, I think it's inconsistent, and I think their pitching really needs to work i guess <laughs> work how it's supposed to because if you look at their uh their starters right there isn't really an ace on that team mm-hmm. anymore so now that somebody took sunny gray from you <laughs> yeah somebody um, and he's actually the yankees number four starter <laughs> really yeah wow wow so so he went from being the ace um uh, in a pitching uh, rotation to being the fourth starter. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> at least at the beginning of this year. <laughs> oh, no. See, you guys didn't even need him. I don't, I don't even know it. How, how, why? Yes. Yes, they did. I will say they did need it. wasn't like they added him to a five-man rotation and they had a six-man rotation. They needed a fifth starter. For what? Or not a fifth starter, but another one to fill out, you know, the five spots. They, they, they had nobody in the, in the minors. Uh, they do, but they wanted someone more established. I guess. I don't know. I, I, I don't think you guys needed him. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you can sign him back when he's a free agent again. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Not the way uh, the A's are run. We're, we're probably going to get your, your single A guy that's been there for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. And not only that, but also the stadium situation in Oakland. <laughs> I couldn't believe when you told, texted me that and how their yeah. option now is just to buy the Coliseum. Like, yeah. Are they they're, situation that bad? <laughs> I think they're still in the deal-making part of you know talking with the city of Oakland, but the, the Coliseum is in debt, major debt. Uh, something like $35 million, uh in debt. Um. And if you don't know, what happened was uh, their their prime location, the the location that they want, uh, the there's a, a college in that town, or the college owns the land there, and the college uh, refused to even meet with with uh, you know the athletics outright. So you know, ju- just as a just as a beginning conversation, you know, nothing's yeah. finalized, nothing's you know. You have to stick to your word. Just, you know, uh, a back and forth on what the A's can build there that will suit their tone, right? So they didn't get that. Um, 
there's also another location called Howard Terminal. Uh, I haven't really seen what it looks like, but it seems to be near the Coliseum, which means it's it's near the dock, uh, the in the bay, right? <laughs> and so it's not really a, pl- a, a prime location because, I mean, who's really going to go there besides if you're going to an athletics game? Um, especially if you build, you know, new, uh, you know, like a shopping center or condominiums or something like that. Nobody wants to live by the docks. Nobody wants to shop by the docks or eat by the docks, right? Uh, so not really a prime location. Um, and I, I guess in this day and age, you need to build, you know, condos or you need to build a shopping center <laughs> to, to make it profitable, right? Um, and so it looks like their only location is the Coliseum. <laughs> yeah, that's their only option is the Coliseum. I don't know why. I guess people in Oakland don't really want a brand new sports stadium. Um, like the Coliseum is, at this point is almost 50 years old. Uh, it's has bad plumbing, (laughs) (laughs) which is well documented. (laughs) It's breaking down. So the A's proposed to the city of Oakland, uh, to buy the Coliseum out of debt and then they would own the Coliseum. I think that's how it's going to be. So they would own the Coliseum. Um, Well, if that goes through, they just did this tear it down and just start it up again. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Play but, somewhere else for a couple of years. Like maybe they could the share thing. it with San Francisco or something. Here's the thing, Tim. I don't think they own the land. I uh, think they own the Coliseum itself. Okay. So that if they did break it down and rebuild it, I think that's just another another sitting county thing that they would have to go through. <laughs> I can at least renovate it though when this Fix it up, or at the very least, the plumbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to the A's credit, I mean, I think it was the A's. They they have been building new things in the Coliseum. Like like I don't know if you noticed, but they took off the tarps off the top and they made it you know cheap seats. I know that's not really a big thing, but and they, like yeah. also there's a it looks like a new restaurant or like a bar situation sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so like. Does it look like they're going to be moving, Tim? <laughs> um, like it, I texted you, that would if they do end up buying and owning the stadium, yeah. what's a, you said like 175 million, something like that. Uh, no, uh, 35 million, I think. Okay, I was, I was going to say yeah. that'd be like their big free agent signing yeah. <laughs> that they never make, but it'd be for their home stadium, yeah. and it might be worth it if they get it up to looking nice and renovated and all that stuff. Yeah, but, how but do the you... question. The question I have, though, yeah. would, if they would own it, would they like kick the Oakland Raiders out and not have them play there anymore? Well, the Raiders are out anyway. Oh, they are? Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're that. moving to Las Vegas. Uh, so it would only be a baseball stadium. So, okay, is that happening this upcoming football season? I'm not sure. I think, like, yeah, I'm not sure when the Raiders are moving, but um, I know they are moving. Uh because oh, that's good. I have to worry the, about seeing the chalk of the football field yeah. <laughs> in September when Oakland's play, or the A's are playing there, or yeah. vice versa. Like, yeah. like they're playing a football game and you see the the you know second 
second base area. <laughs> a little bit of a diamond. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know why the, the Raiders are moving, Tim? Because they don't want to be in the Coliseum anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get a new stadium, I think. And I think uh, Las Vegas, you know, of course, they got a lot of, I guess, empty land, right? And they're willing to work with professional sports teams. And, um, yeah, they're getting a brand new stadium. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, that's seemed like if they really want one, they just have to leave Oakland. Yeah. Yeah, but where do they go? You know, that's the thing. Maybe they can go to Vegas, too. <laughs> yeah. Las Vegas Athletics. Um <laughs> Actually, it doesn't sound too bad, actually, when you say it like that. <laughs> the Las Vegas Athletics. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No new stadium. <laughs> new season, no new stadium. Um, I think, I, I mean, they, they have to be the the only team in Major League Baseball that needs a new stadium. Now, them in Tampa Bay, they're like the two that need oh, the worst. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that went bad real fast. Yeah, I will say the Coliseum, at least... Plumbing aside, looks better <laughs> than Tropicana Field. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Especially if it's a sunny day, and you know, <laughs> yeah, there, there's exactly. more than there, there's more than sixteen thousand people there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost like right now you're tied for last place and tied for worst stadium in MLB. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how the Yankees. Maybe it's because you know the Yankees are a history. You know, they have a they're a big franchise, you know. You know the, the the Braves are a big franchise. Uh, who else? I think you can name almost every baseball team that's <laughs> got yeah. a new stadium over the last fifteen year, eighteen years. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I mean, at the at the very least, what I'm hoping is they can do with the Coliseum what what. Uh, the Red Sox did with Fenway. Yeah, you know, even it comes with big just, And then the Dodgers, the Dodgers Stadium. Yeah, well, yeah, but, yeah, and make it attractive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, you just look at it and it's like, oh, man, that that's, that's not the prettiest. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's ugly. <laughs> but, I mean, I... I I guess I, I, I guess this is the only option, and I'm just hoping that they can do what what, what the Red Sox did with, with with Fenway. You know, they couldn't rebuild Fenway. It's a classic park. I mean, the the Coliseum is in a classic park. But <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but I'm just hoping they can build, renovate the inside of it to make it look nice, because it, it, it's it's like I've said on this podcast before. Um. The Golden State Warriors arena is right next to the Coliseum. And the Golden State Warriors are a good basketball team, so they always make the finals, or at least the playoffs, right? Yeah. And there's some aerial shots of the outside of the arena, <laughs> and you could see the Coliseum. Um, <laughs> the camera quickly pans yeah, away from it. <laughs> yeah, it does. You know, it does. It sees that gray, that gray building, right? <laughs> then it quickly turns left. And shows the, the top of the <laughs> arena. But man. Uh, maybe the Oakland could play there where the Golden State Warriors play. Yeah. <laughs> At least it'll look nicer from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> they could make it work somehow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but anyway, Tim, that's enough of uh, the, the Oakland A's <laughs> stadium woes that continue. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think we found our rating scale for this episode. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's do our, our Dark Knight Rise Mid Minute commentary. Yes, let's do it. Let's cheer you up. All right. Um, so for this episode, we're going for minute 102 to 103, or an hour and 42 minutes to hour, and an hour and 43 minutes. So just get yourself queued up. Um, um, grab your HD DVD, grab your projector, grab your DVD. Blu-ray, Tim? Yeah? We're going yeah. with that? Okay. Yeah, when we made that official, with the Dark Knight field, you came out on 4K. Yeah. So grab your, your Blu-ray, grab your VHS tape, grab your laser disc, grab your beta tape, uh, grab your um, Blockbuster physical, I mean, your, your Blockbuster sub- subscription, uh, grab your Netflix physical media subscription, uh, grab your Gamefly uh, rental, right? Mm. One more, come on! It's the latest one. How could I forget to (laughs) grab your VHS to DVD transfer copy? There you go. (laughs) Um, And just cue it to the hundred second minute, and I'm gonna get countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, three, two, one, hit play. So, what do you think is nicer, Dane? The pit that Bruce is in, or the Oakland Coliseum? Yeah, probably this pit. <laughs> if I'm being honest, at least it's covered. Yeah. <laughs> and they probably don't have plumbing to worry about. Yeah, now that does the Coliseum. Have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first flashback to the young Rachel. I remember remember the rumors about a young Rachel Gould being cast. Oh, is that? Wait, am I? Forgetting, yeah, I don't yeah. remember the actor's name, but I remember reports about oh, they're casting someone to play a young Rachel Gould. No, because I think I'm confusing the two because I know there was a young Talia, right? Yeah, there's the young Talia, and then yeah, they're not fully revealing it's Rachel Gould here. That's right, they're just saying the young mercenary. There's got to be a way, a better way to get out of that pit. Well, it's not going to happen in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're about to pause it at the middle of the story. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's our Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute commentary for this episode. We do one every single episode, so we're, <laughs> we're making progress, Tim. Yes, we are. <laughs> we're not stopping now. We're, we're so close, <laughs> even though we're so far. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that phrase has never been more true than this minute by minute commentary. So close yet so far. Yeah, we're like an hour off. Just about, yeah, yeah. maybe a little less than an hour. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but why don't you tell everybody about our featured topic for this episode, too? Yeah, so our featured topic is going to be a review and look back at Batman and Mister Freeze Sub Zero as the movie just came out on Blu-ray a couple of weeks ago. And it's its 20th anniversary, which is hard to believe as it came out in 1998. So we haven't really talked too much about the movie as we've been doing this podcast for 154 episodes. I'm sure it's come up here and there, but we never really had a full length discussion on it. So with it being out on Blu-ray and I just watched it again a few days ago, felt it's the perfect time to finally talk about the second Batman, the animated series movie. So, yeah, just to go back when I first saw it or actually when I first heard about it. It's kind of strange. I remember seeing the trailer for it, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was 
played before the VHS release of Batman and Robin. And now I don't want to make you think I own the VHS copy of Batman and Robin. <laughs> My cousin actually had the VHS copy of Batman and Robin. And for some reason, we were watching it. I don't know why, but <laughs> the highlight was seeing the trailer for Sub-Zero for the first time. But for some reason, I remember um, the trailer highlighting, of course, Mr. Freeze. And I thought, OK, cool. We're getting a new Mr. Freeze story and Robin's going to play a big part in it. And I don't know why, because the movie does not hint at this at all. But when I saw that first trailer, I'm sure I'm just remembering it wrong. But I always thought a big part of the story of the movie was going to be the fallout between Dick and Bruce. Because by the time I saw this trailer, the new Batman Adventures was already airing. So we knew he was already Nightwing. And I thought, oh, cool, this movie's going to fill the gap of how you know Dick Grayson left Bruce and became Nightwing and all that. So that's going to be cool to get. But yeah, like I said, none of that is in the movie at all. <laughs> so I don't know where I got that from. Maybe I should look back at that trailer, the very first teaser trailer. Maybe they changed it and I, <laughs> I'm the only one who remembers that. But for that is definitely not in the movie. So I think it is more that I'm just remembering it incorrectly. But I, I just remember getting really excited about it because of that more than anything, more so than it you know, being a new Mr. Freeze story. So it came out on VHS in 1998. I think it was during the summer. I can't remember the exact month, but I remember it was just, it took forever for me just to get it because I wasn't driving then. I was barely just 15. So over to, me and my brother rode our bikes down to Toys R Us. Then I just remember it was taking forever for me just to get the copy because I don't know if you remember. Oh, by the way, Tim, um, so sad to see Toys R Us finally closing down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was just really thinking that sad. too. <laughs> yeah. I know. I never thought it would come to that. I mean, Good memories of going to Toys R Us as a kid, buying stuff, and then working there as my first job, making yeah. some good friends there. So, yeah, Toys R Us has a special place in my heart, and I'm sad to see it go. Yeah. But the one the, the one time I did go there for Sub-Zero, it wasn't a great experience because... <laughs> really? <laughs> it, like I said, it took forever because it was the, during the time, remember how Toys R Us used to have those tickets that you'd have to buy for video games and movies? because they don't want the physical copies out on display in the store for anyone to steal. Right, right. Yeah. So it took me forever just to find the display of where they're selling it. And I remember I saw, okay, it, I see like the cover or like the poster they have for Sub-Zero, but there's no ticket here to get it. Like, how do I buy this thing? I just remember it took forever for me to find someone to, you know, ask and to make sure they had the copy. So I pretty much spent an hour in the store just trying wow. to find Sub-Zero and I finally got it and so just rode back home with it. <laughs> so and a year later I started working there and made sure that problem never happened again. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, so got it that day, watched it later that night. And I remember when I first saw it, I liked it, but being a little disappointed with it. And mainly because going back to what I thought it was going to be with Dick leaving Bruce and becoming Nightwing and all that, how none of that was part of the movie. I just remember being puzzled like why wasn't that there i could have sworn that was you know part of the build-up to the story and the, what they're trying to promote in it but it made me think that they cut a lot of stuff so but um i did enjoy it though but it is one of those movies i gotta say that i don't watch quite often like other ones like phantasm or batman beyond return of the joker every time i watch it i enjoy it i just don't have it as high as those ones but and it's one of those things where sometimes where you kind of were disappointed at first and you the more you see it, the more you come to enjoy it or whatnot. 
And that happened a little bit with this movie. I won't say it's a disappointment anymore, uh, but it's I can't say it changed too much where I go, oh, okay, this is like really great or it's really you know one of my favorites. And don't get me wrong, it's really good. There's nothing really wrong with it. It's just something that's just not quite up there or some of the other Batman movies we got. But and it's still kind of the same for me uh, today. Uh, just watching it again. It's it's a real short movie too. <laughs> that's another thing. Watching it recently because I watched it a few days ago, but the last time I probably watched it was ten years ago, and only maybe a couple of times over the course of its twenty year release. So maybe I've only seen it probably like four or five times, if even that. But um, but watching it again this last time, I, I enjoy it, but it still didn't quite get elevated any further. I mean, the story of it is really great. I mean, about Mr. Freeze. Uh, it's cool that it took off right where his second animated series episode left off, uh, which was Deep Freeze. And we knew uh, that's where he discovered Nora was still alive, that uh, the amusement park uh, owner uh, got her body away from the explosion and kept it for himself. And he wanted to you know, have Mr. Freeze build him this suit and have caused the accident to him so he can live forever. But, um, you know, things, I guess I'm going to recap that whole episode here, but things went down and Vista freeze and Nora got sunk into, you know, the ocean. And then that's where sub zero picked up. And so it was cool that we got to pick up immediately from that. And then just the overall plot of, you know, finally trying to revive Nora. We, Mr. Freeze got his answer as far as, you know, what needs to be done to save her. She, you know, she needs an organ transplant. And of course the only, her, her blood type is extremely rare, and there's only a handful of people who match her blood type. And, of course, <laughs> one of those is Barbara Gordon, and that's who Mr. Freeze and uh, one of his old colleagues, uh, as he kidnaps to try to help him save his wife, they kidnap Barbara and you know take her to this oil rig, try to force her to have the surgery, but she's not – you know she wants to help, but she doesn't want to do it that way. She wants to do it right in the hospital. And, of course, Batman and Robin discover the kidnapping. They go and save her. That's the best part of the movie, I will say, the final sequence uh, on the oil rig. Good action. And, you know, we get closure to the Mr. Freeze story at this point anyway. You know, Batman and Robin, you know, doing all they can to help Freeze. They get Nora out of there and Batman goes back to try to bring Freeze. who's injured because you know, the fire going on, his suit's a little damaged. But Freeze ends up falling into the ocean uh, as Batman was trying to save him. All that stuff was good. It was very intense. I mean, that's part, I think, you know, really holds up still and as far as being just a really entertaining, suspenseful action sequence of of what of all of all the Batman animated movies, so I'll definitely give it props for that. So I like too how at that it gave at that point, like I said, a closure to Mister Freeze's story. Kind of got a happy ending, but not really. And, you know, because at the end we see him walking back uh, to the station, like out in the snow, hearing a news report that Nora was revived, the operation was successful with Barbara, and you see him bring a tear to his face, and he just you know, walks out with a broken leg, like seeing him smile for quite possibly the first time <laughs> ever in, in the series, definitely. And as far as his life and the story goes, definitely the first time smiling in a long, long time. So it was a good ending to that story. But as we know, uh, Mr. Freeze's uh, story continued in the new Batman adventures and Batman Beyond. And he sadly does not get a happy ending, even though Nora did, did when it was all said and done. So yeah, the movie, again, it doesn't have a lot of action in it. Batman and Robin are hardly in it. And that's, I guess one of the things where just where I don't have it quite as high as some of the other movies, because a lot of the stuff just deals with, you know, Dick and Barbara at that uh, jazz festival. Like a lot of the action early on takes place with them out of costume. And it's a little, even though it's a short movie, 
it's a little slow in that beginning uh, period when it's not dealing with freeze. So I guess that's kind of the reason why I don't have it quite high up there. And again, it's not like it's bad. It's just something that just doesn't necessarily grab me like some of the other Batman movies and episodes did. So um, that's what I remember of the movie and just watching it again. It, like I said, it didn't really change too much. But again, it's still an enjoyable watch and definitely a must watch for those who want to get the complete Mr. Freeze story uh, of the animated series because it's definitely has some big stuff that what happens to the characters. So, um, yeah, on Blu-ray, it looked fantastic, though. <laughs> I got to say it was a really good transfer. The colors are so bright and they pop out at you. It just looks really, really good. Probably even a better transfer than the Phantasm one because that had a few shots that didn't look quite right. But this one was pretty much flawless throughout all the way through. I guess the only nitpick I have about it, um, it was the aspect ratio was four by three. It wasn't in you know the widescreen letterbox format, so it was kind of in the square box. But um, I could live with that. I've seen a lot of stuff, especially some of the older uh, TV shows, especially in the DC universe. But um, like Batman, the animated series, when you watch those on like Amazon Prime and all that, it's in the four by three ratio. So I'm used to it. Uh, and I probably should expect that to be the case for the blu-ray releases of the animated series so might as well prepare myself for that even though it would be nice that they do like a widescreen remastered transfer but regardless the sub-zero blu-ray was an excellent transfer so definitely glad they decided to put it out and for this much closer to getting every <laughs> dcau uh, series and movie out on blu-ray like i think they got all the animated movies covered now it's just time for the series like batman the animated series superman and batman beyond and then we'll be good to go but, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on Sub-Zero. Um, I know you didn't get the Blu-ray yet, Dane, but what is your memories of the movies and what you thought of it? Um, I can't remember when I saw it uh, first, but because um, I would have been... It came out in 97? 98. 98. Uh, I would have been 10 years old, so um, probably after that. Um, <laughs> I, I remember uh, buying the VHS and... I lost it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because for some reason, um, this is so stupid looking back on it, but I would, I would bring, like, I, I must have lo- liked this movie a lot because I, I would bring, uh, for some reason, the VHS copy uh, with me, like, no matter where I went. So it's cool. Like a place uh, that doesn't have a VCR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just going to the store with my dad. Uh, there's no VCR there. Uh, I would just bring it with me. Kind of like a comfort blanket, I guess. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I lost it. Uh, um, so, yeah, like I, I, I lost it. I was sad. I couldn't watch it. And um, ended up finding it. Um, I left it outside in the front of my parents' house. Uh-huh. Um, luckily it was covered. I was so going to say, it rained, didn't uh, melt, did it? <laughs> <laughs> didn't get rained on, didn't melt. Um, so yeah, I found it and I, I watched it. I, I actually remember liking Sub-Zero more than I did Mask of the Phantasm. Interesting. Um, because I think, like you said previously, it, it was because uh, Sub-Zero was shorter than Mask of the mm-hmm. Phantasm. I think Mask of the Phantasm is like a little under an hour and a half. Right? Yeah, somewhere in that range. Yeah, uh, and I think uh, Sub-Zero is like an hour. Yeah, I think 
the official runtime is like a 67 minutes. So probably if you take away the credits, it might just be a little over an hour. Yeah, yeah. So like, I remember liking Sub Zero way, way more. Plus, two, it had the, the two um, um, polar bears, <laughs> which I thought yeah. was really cool. Um, what's her name's? Uh, <sighs> yeah, I don't remember their yeah, names. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> their names, but I remember they had the, there was two polar bears that lived with Mister Freeze, and um, yeah, I just remember liking this one more for some reason. Those polar bears didn't make up the bulk of the action sequences. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, Dick <laughs> um, had to face him twice. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, I, I I didn't really notice that Batman and Robin aren't really in this one. I just love this movie. I love I love Mister Freeze. I thought this was gonna be like Heart of Ice, but more, you know, like more fleshed out. I thought this was gonna be the Part of Vice story, but more fleshed out. Um, but yeah, like that, I guess that's my first memories of uh, Sub Zero. Still haven't seen it um, in a while. I don't know yeah, why. When was the last time you think you probably saw it? <sighs> Must have been around. You know what? It 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 was around the time of uh, uh, I guess like a month or two before um, Dark Knight came out. Okay. So back so, in yeah. like 2000. About 10 years. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like me. What is that, like 2007, 2008? Yeah. Yeah, so around there. So you at least got the DVD version of it. Yeah. Like, you're still yeah. watching the VHS copy. <laughs> VHS copy. No, no, Tim. I, 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 tra- I transferred my VHS copy to DVD. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that should have been my first guess. Yeah. Um, what did you th- like another big change for the movie? I mean, right off the bat is the 3D background animation they sometimes use, which was a first for anything in Batman the Animated Series. What did you think of that? I think they used some of that in uh, Mask of the Phantasm, the, the beginning. Didn't they? Was it? Uh, I don't know if it was quite 3D, not like they did with this. Hmm. You know, I could be mistaken, but if it is, yeah. they did a good job of blending it with the 2D animation. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, I could have swore, like, the, the beginning shot, you know, like, you're going over the city, and then you focus on the building. I could have swore mm, that yeah. that was um, uh, CGI'd, but I don't know. Um doesn't really stick out to me. Um, of course, I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, but I imagine on Blu-ray, it looks like a sore thumb. <laughs> it did stick out a little. It wasn't yeah. anything that takes you out of the movie, but you definitely notice it. And it's not like horrible, like type CG animation, like the Spider-Man, the animated series was where it's yeah. definitely out of date nowadays, but it doesn't look quite the best, like especially the background. And sometimes they have these wide shots, like for instance, when they're uh, Bruce and Dick are about to take off in the bat wing and they're making their launch preparation. And you see Alfred walking up to it like Alfred's a CG like animated character too. It's like, oh, no. it's from a distance, but you could yeah. tell it, it's CG. It looks a little off when he's mixing it with like, the CG background and the CG Batwing. But I think the Batwing looks the best out of everything that was CG. And sometimes even like the motorcycle chase that Dick had, some of the background there was CG. It's, it's again, kind of like the movie. It's one of those things where it doesn't look bad, but at the same time, it's, it's you notice it a little bit. And um, correct me if I'm wrong. This was not, in theaters, right? No, just oh, straight okay. to video. And and it came out after 
Batman and Robin. Yeah. Okay. No, I was just wondering, like the like the timeline of like it, if if this movie was to promote Batman and Robin. I'm like sure it was. Kind of. I'm sure they wanted to, or they were <laughs> they were probably hoping at least the executives at Warner Brothers. Oh, with the success of Batman and Robin, and Mister Freeze being the main villain, we gotta you know tie that in with a new animated movie that features Mister Freeze. I'm sure that was the reasoning behind it, not just because. Heart of Ice is one of the greatest <laughs> stories of Batman ever told, and they want to continue it. I'm sure it was more Warner Brothers marketing wanted to tie into Batman and Robin and Mr. Freeze being in that. But you know, regardless of how it gets made and out there, even if it is a tie into one of the worst Batman <laughs> <laughs> stories ever, as long as we get it. <laughs> so the new Batman adventures and Sub Zero. Uh, gotta be thankful for batman and robin for giving us those two things so <laughs> that's yeah. the only redeeming quality of that movie but another cool thing uh, when i watched it for the uh, not for the first time but watched it again this past thursday um i forgot how it started i loved how it begins with it's just pretty much like the old opening for batman 89 with the music it's pretty much playing the exact same thing you like panning through it looks like the bat cave but it's actually um you know what actually it is the bat cave i was getting it mixed up. It could have been like the ice cave that Mr. Freeze was living in at the beginning. But I just love how it pans through that cave. And then you see this playing Danny Elfman's classic theme and the bat symbol comes up and, you know, it comes into the grand score that you're familiar with. But instead of going to the full Batman theme that we hear in the intro of 89, I guess they didn't have time for that. So they just abbreviated it. You see the Batman logo get frozen with ice and it says Sub-Zero. And then, but it plays the ending of the theme right before when you see the logo in batman 89 then the camera zooms in and you get into the movie i love how it's pretty similar to that the music's the same and the way the logo kind of breaks apart in ice it was pretty cool so i always liked how it started using the danny elfman theme music to kick out this movie as well i think those um those polar bears should get their own animated movie yeah. <laughs> i know they never found out what happened to them you know mr freeze came back in the new batman adventures but the polar bears or weren't with him. We know uh, they were still there at the end of Sub-Zero because he clinged onto them after he fell in the water to get back to land. They yeah. pretty much saved his life. <laughs> they they walked out with him at, with his broken leg after he heard the news about Nora. So uh, who knows well, what happened to him? He probably just set him free to be free polar bears. Yeah, hopefully that's the case. He yeah. didn't you know, <laughs> do anything <laughs> tragic to them. <laughs> but another thing that stood out about Sub-Zero 2 was uh, the voice actress for Barbara uh, her name was Mary Kay Bergman, and this was her only uh, pretty much appearance as Batgirl in the animated universe. She just did this movie, and then for the new Batman Adventures, uh, Tara Strong took over as voicing Barbara. And this voice of Barbara, I got to say, wasn't my favorite. Uh, it was different from the first actress who did it in the animated series. And then, of course, Tara Strong did Batgirl, probably definitely voiced her more than anyone uh, do the animated series run. So this one was you know just kind of like a stopgap but wasn't necessarily a voice i thought fit barbara i don't know if you noticed that when you watched it as far as barbara's voice standing out as being a little too different no i think i was too young to um really notice those differences you know yeah i could i could understand that i guess for me being older at that time like man this is definitely a different barbara it doesn't quite sound as right as what what i think she would sound like but Again, it's something that doesn't kill the movie, just something that stood out to me. So 
just little things like that over the course of watching it. And like I said, some of this, the animation and the slow bits of it uh, kind of in the first act and second half is what you know, doesn't quite reach the level of some of my other favorites. But it's definitely, like I said, definitely something you should still watch. And I got to say, the best part of probably about this DVD other than the excellent transfer is that or not DVD, the Blu-ray is that it came that on the disc, it has every single Mr. Freeze episode from Batman, the animated series and Batman Beyond, which was awesome because at first I was just going to watch the movie again. But then I saw, oh, cool. It has every single Mr. Freeze episode on here. You know what? I'm going to get the complete Mr. Freeze story. I'm going to watch all of them, starting with Heart of Eyes all the way up to Meltdown from Batman Beyond. And I got to say, anyone you know who's a fan of the animated series and especially of Heart of Ice, which I'm sure is every Batman the animated series fan, definitely at least once got to watch every Mr. Freeze episode all in a row with the movies uh, put in the middle. Because that's how I watched Sub-Zero on Thursday. I started with Heart of Ice, Deep Freeze. Then I went to Sub-Zero. Then after that, immediately watched uh, uh, Cold Comfort and then ended it with Meltdown. And it's so convenient having all of them on just one disc. So definitely, I think that's kind of, I wouldn't say the full, like full worth of admission to buying the Blu-ray because the quality of it you know, alone, I think is worth it. But having all those episodes is just another added bonus. Why I think you should probably, any Batman, the animated series fan who should, should get this because it was such a cool experience watching the complete Mr. Free story this way. It just, you know, drives home the point again of just how amazing and what a wonderful job Paul Dini and Bruce Tim did with reinventing this character, creating the definitive origin story for him. And just, you know, what a sad, tragic story it is for Mr. Freeze. I mean, he doesn't get a happy ending. As I said, it looked like it was kind of a more hopeful, happy ending for him at the end of Sub-Zero. But then when you watch Cold Comfort of how his accident just deteriorated his body and all that's left was his head and then he never saw his wife because of that and his wife got tired of waiting for him and she married the doctor who performed her operation and that just Jeez. you know <laughs> sent freeze off the deep end which yeah. caused him to you know take away those everything that those people loved in that episode and then in batman beyond it just gets even worse <laughs> uh-huh. that's one of my favorite batman beyond episodes too meltdown where uh Derek powers is trying to find a way to keep his radiation in check. And then a scientist comes up to him and she tells him, you know, there's a way that could possibly be done by giving you a new body, but, you know, transferring your memories and like your, your total brain function into a new body, but I'm going to test it first. And she tests it on the head of Mr. Freeze. That's been (laughs) just sitting there like cold storage for about 50 years. And he has some great, dialogue in that opening sequence where he first shows up in batman beyond just saying you know how he's obsessed with death and how every day he thinks about it but yet he's being offered a new chance of life and it looks like it worked i mean we finally get to see victor freeze as a happy human being living a normal life in a normal body being able to you know feel the warmth of someone's touch and just you know the weather being out in broad daylight not worrying about being in sub-zero temperatures so it looks like he was going to get the happy ending there but Derek Powers and that scientist Stephanie Blake betrayed him. I mean, he was reverting back into his previous condition where he had to be in, in sub-zero temperatures and power just go, oh, if only we can biopsy his organs. And then Stephanie Blake's, oh, that's doable. And they're just going to kill him right then and there. And so he gets his revenge on them, but ends up, you know, killing himself in the process. So Mr. Freeze does not get a happy ending in this story, but man, is it great storytelling. I mean, definitely one of the most tragic Batman stories 
other than you know some of the stuff Batman goes through, definitely for his villains, it's it's really really great stuff. So I highly recommend everyone do that at least once. Just watch the complete Mister Freeze story all in a row with those episodes and with Sub Zero. You definitely won't be disappointed. Well, at least they got over the um, um, Nora storyline. You know, I yeah. mean his his voice. I mean not his voice. His uh, his storyline doesn't end very well, but at least they got the the Nora part out of the way. Yeah. She got a happy ending. Yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure she was upset at what happened with freeze afterwards, but I mean, at least she survived and was able to live, you know, her life healthy. Yeah. So yeah, altogether, I'm going to, if I had to score the Blu-ray, I'm going to give it a solid four, a great transfer. It looked awesome. And then getting those Mr. Freeze episodes all together was just an added bonus, which was, like I said, just a great experience watching them all together. So I highly recommend anyone pick this up. Is there a commentary on it? No, I wish no. there was. The special features are definitely lacking. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that. Other than the episodes and a trailer and like some uh, artwork, that's pretty much about it. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, but it's worth enough just for the movie. All right, so I guess that's it for a future topic, right? Yep. All right, so now we can move on to our uh, only piece of news which is that um, the voice cast and uh, you got a first look at the death of the death of Superman and animated movie. Wow. That was hard to say. <laughs> um, so Jerry O'Connell uh, from billions. Yeah. And he's voiced Superman. He's pretty much yeah. the voice of Superman in the DC animated movie continuity. Cause he uh, portrayed him in uh, justice league throne of Atlantis and justice league versus Teen Titans. So, yeah, he's going to be uh, voicing Superman, and uh, Rebecca Romaine, his wife, is going to be voicing Lois Lane. And then um, The Office's Rain Wilson will be playing Lex Luthor. So I That's guess the one I'm real excited about to see yeah, <laughs> or to hear how he does. I was about to say, I guess he's going, um, I mean, I guess they're going in a different direction with this Lex uh, Luthor. Yeah, I wonder like how much Dwight is going to be in his <laughs> Luthor performance. I could kind of yeah. see, I could kind of see it working though. A little Dwight in there. So. <laughs> and then just to round it off, um, uh, Rosario Dawson will be playing Wonder Woman, and then uh, Nathan Fillion is going to be Green Lantern, and then Christopher Gorham. Who's that? I've, I haven't heard of him before. Uh, I actually got. To- like he's a, like I said, most of this class has voiced their characters before. So I actually got to interview him for one of the premieres I did for Justice League War. So oh. I haven't seen anything he was in other than this, but he was a pretty nice guy when I got to interview him. He was oh, excited, definitely good. excited to play the Flash. Yeah, he's going to be playing the Flash, and then Matt Lanter is going to be Aquaman, Tim. A.K.A. Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, uh, I'm, j- I'm just reading the, um, the article, and then they have the this show timeless yeah as, as his credit and i think they should have said uh clone wars anakin thinking the exact same thing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um shimar moore uh of swat is that a tv show Tim? i i think it's a tv show and it was a movie so okay. <laughs> back in 2003 i think so it's one of those yeah um uh, he's going to be playing Cyborg and Jason O'Mara from from uh, Agents of Shield. Will will be playing Batman. Yep, Dude, this is this is. Gee, he's done Batman a while now. So yeah, maybe 
might be approaching like close to 10 movies. So. Really? <laughs> yeah, he's wow. been doing a lot ever since they started with Justice League War and this new continuity. So, yeah, voice cast, um, glad the familiar voices are there. And like I said, excited to hear Rain Wilson's voice of Lex Luthor. But the big thing about this movie that threw me off, I got to say, was how it is in this animated movie continuity. Because I was just assuming that when they announced the death of Superman, that it was going to be, you know, a comic book adaption, kind of like Dark Knight Returns was. But and I got to say, I'm a little torn on this, to be honest. I was looking forward to seeing a more direct adaption of that comic with the visual style that the actual comic series had. So the fact that it is going to be the main continuity and not have that look and feel of the comics was a little disappointing, I'm going to admit. But at the same time, too, it is kind of cool to put they are putting in the continuity because this these group of characters have been established over the course of several movies, which is a good thing. And I think it's just going to add to the effect of when Superman does die and we see the members of the Justice League who have interacted with him, partnered with him, and fought with him through several movies are going to... It would have a better effect when Superman dies and they feel that grief and loss for him. So I think it's going to work better in you know that aspect of the stories, given that we've spent some time with the versions of these characters. So it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I'm still excited for it, though. I just got to get over the fact that it's not going to be a straight up comic adaption. So um, I got to, you know, I was expecting maybe this Lex Luthor to have the red hair and beard like he did in the comic. But I don't think that's going to be the case here with Rain Wilson's Luthor. But they did have because uh, the Justice League, I mean, not Justice League, the Suicide Squad held a pay movie came out digitally about a week ago. And so that first look at the Death of Superman featurette was, you know, online. I got to see that. It looks really good, even though, you know, the uh, art style and the character designs aren't exactly like the comic. They are capturing the comic pretty well, at least uh, from the little bit they showed here. And with Doomsday attacking the different members of the Justice League, I like how Doomsday has his green suit. That was great to see because we didn't get that in the first Superman Doomsday movie. And the one improvement that is for the better about it being in the new in this animated movie continuity is that once Doomsday fights the Justice League, it's not going to be like the third tier heroes <laughs> that it was in the comics. It's going to be, you know, the big guns, Green Lantern, Flats. Batman, Wonder Woman. So that's going to be an improvement, I think, of having it in this continuity. You're getting the big guns to take on Doomsday before Superman gets in the fight. So it looks good. Um, I'm excited about the voice cast with the returning uh, voice actors and the new ones. And again, excited that it is two parts. So they're not going to have to hurry up and rush things. We're going to get the full Doomsday fight, the death of Superman, the funeral for a friend. And that should all make for a great first part of the movie. And then after that, the reign of the Superman for part two. So I'm excited for it, despite being a little disappointed of not being a full adaption, but I'll get over it. I can't wait for this one to come out. Funeral for a friend was actually one of the first comics that I bought. In fact, I think it was the first comic. Oh, okay. I bought. Yeah. And those had some great covers too. Yeah. It's just, the story wasn't very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least I don't remember liking it that much. Um, I'm not I should fan. go back and read those. Uh, maybe the death of Superman, but not so much the <laughs> the funeral <laughs> for a friend. Um, I'm not that big of a fan of uh, the straight up comic adaptations. Really? Yeah, I'd I'd rather the 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 animators or the filmmakers to uh, do their own thing. Um, 
I think the Killing Joke would be the only one that would work. But unfortunately, you would think so, but... <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, they added that beginning part to it. Um, yeah, well, I thought the Dark Knight Returns they did a great job, and I even like—I know Year One gets some flack, but I like Year One because that was definitely just straight up adaption. Yeah, <laughs> for the most definitely part. Year One did not work for me. Um, I think that that was written in such a way where it could only work in comics, you know. Mm. Doesn't I can really, that. Yeah, it doesn't really translate to uh, animation. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's it for our news and discussion topics. So we can get into a conversation with Alex slash listener feedback. Did uh, Jordan send, send in an email? Yes, uh, he did, as week? always. Okay. I was just wondering. Um, so, yeah, do you, do you want to read that, Tim? Jordan says, hey, Tim and Dane and Alex, I was interested in hearing your guys go through the letter grades for all the DCEU films up to this point. I figured I'd chime in. I should mention that mine are quite different, as you might imagine. One thing I do agree with Tim on, though, is that I think Man of Steel is the best DCEU movie so far. I adore Man of Steel. It's so beautiful, inspirational, and moving. I have no issue with the final fight either. That was the first time we'd ever seen Superman fight like that in live Yeah, action. but can I say something, Tim? Yeah, can I say something real quick? No, you may not. <laughs> <laughs> um, or it's more of a question to you and Alex. Do you, do you guys... You Jordan. <laughs> or, yeah, sorry, Jordan. I'm sorry, Jordan. Um, do you guys not care that the entire story... Like, there's zero story after that. No, yeah, I actually don't mind it. I mean, okay. I mean, to me, it makes sense enough because yeah. Zod's lost everything he was fighting for and wanted to achieve. So, of course, he's going to take out his anger and frustration on the man who took that all away from him and Superman in a fight. And Superman has to stop him <laughs> during that fight. So, to me, there's just enough for it to, to warrant that battle. I guess. I mean, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, not, I'm not gonna <laughs> get into the whole thing. Let's continue on with Jordan giving praises yes. to it that I agree with. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, Michael Shannon is one of the most underrated live action villains ever, and his performance throughout that fight scene was magnificent. Man of Steel is an A plus for me. Yeah, I definitely agree too that Michael Shannon is a little underrated in that performance. He did a great job as Zod. I don't consider Batman v Superman quite the masterpiece that I do Man of Steel, but I still think it's really good. I don't like Jesse Jesse Eisenberg's legs. I don't like Doomsday's look, and I think it was a poor decision to kill Superman in the movie. But I love pretty much everything else. I love how it's a film about Superman inspiring a Batman who has lost his way to become the hero he once was again. Batman v Superman is an A minus for me. Oh yeah, well, one more thing, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> This time it's about uh, Batman versus Superman. Um, how come they never really explain the branding that that uh, Batman does? Yeah, that's a good point. Or why he does it? I don't know. Maybe he was wanting to be, you know, the executioner as he was described, you know, in the movie. Once he branded them, people would be killed in prison because of that. You know. You know yeah. It was definitely a dark place they took him in this movie, so it wouldn't be too far <laughs> out of yeah. reach to think that would be the reason. Yeah, that's a little too far. I I, I do like the dark Batman, but yeah, I don't know. Little, that's just a little too far. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. People, 
shanked in prison, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and not, you know, kind of shifting the blame off to, uh, you know, <laughs> that he doesn't get it. He doesn't actually do the killing, but he knows what's going to happen to him. Yeah, but you kind of do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it would have been best if that wasn't part of it. I definitely yeah. agree. I think that was just a cool design element. Like, oh, what if people walking around with Batman brands on, on them? Yeah, if they yeah. made it out of prison, but I don't think that happened for any of us. No. <laughs> Jordan continues with Suicide Squad is a film that has grown on me each time I watched it. It's my least favorite of the five DCEU movies to date, but it's still really enjoyable to me. It's just so much fun. Totally, I still wish it, totally forgot Scott Eastwood was in that movie. <laughs> well he's only in a handful of scenes yeah. isn't he <laughs> yeah but wasn't he the big like oh he's gonna be steve trevor remember or i think dick grayson undercover dick grayson, right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then he just to use in like two scenes and you totally forget that he's in that movie pretty much <laughs> was uh army hammer in that movie no right no he wasn't in it yeah he he, he was rumored to be batman right he was Batman in the Justice League Mortal movie from 2007. Oh, right. That right. never got made. Yeah. I still want to see a shot of him in the bad suit, what it's like. I know some like artwork got, came out. I don't know if it was artwork. Actually, I'm in the costume, but yeah. it wasn't that great of quality, so it's still kind of hard to see. But <laughs> I'm so curious what he would have looked like in the bad suit. Also, totally forgot Viola Davis uh, was in that movie just right now. Yeah. <laughs> it just remained, oh, she, reminded she me. Was, she was great. It was my, Amanda Waller. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see her again, but <laughs> yeah, for for, sure. for the great actress that she is, little one note, you know, I mean she's just that government yeah, employee. That's how Waller is, though. <laughs> she always like that uh, stoic, stern figure. Yes, but in a movie, I expected her to be more. <laughs> no, I expect comic accuracy, Dean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jordan says, I still wish it had been closer in line tonally to the first comic con teaser we got for it, though. However, the things I love about what we did get have gotten even better with time. And the things I don't love don't bother me as much anymore. Also forgot there are that. Um, sorry, Tim. <laughs> I don't mean to keep on interrupting. <laughs> also forgot that uh, Katana was in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> And she had some cool acting sequences, but, you know, not really a character arc. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it wasn't really explained. She just kind of shows up. Yeah. Fights some her, guys and leaves. So Her costume was cool, though. Again, another comic accurate. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, uh, oh, man, I, I totally forget the guy's name. Um, not Boomerang. Not the fire guy. Croc? Slipknot? Not Slipknot, yeah. Slipknot. <laughs> <laughs> totally forgot he was in that movie, too. One of the Suicide Squad team members had to get their heads blown off. <laughs> so we knew it was him from the get-go. <laughs> there are some phenomenal performances in that film, with Marco Robbie's Harley Quinn and Jared Leto's Joker especially stealing the show for me. I give Suicide Squad a B. Wonder Woman is a really good origin film for Diana. I think it has some really powerful emotional stuff in it and some breathtaking and moving action sequences. I'm with Dane with regards to its weak villains, though. Sort of. I like Ares pretty well, actually, but there are times when General Lunderdorf and Dr. Poison act like Batman 66 villains, and it really irks me. Although they each get a few good creepy moments as well that help out a bit. Wonder Woman is a B-plus for me. 
Yeah, for some reason, I don't take into consideration Leonard Dorff and Dr. Poison as, you know, villains for Wonder Woman. I probably should because, you know, since Ares doesn't show up to the end, they are the main antagonist uh, throughout the film. So I guess they just serve their purpose well enough. But I can kind of see what you're going for, Jordan, without them being 66 villains. There are moments I kind of had of that. So I can kind of get what you're saying there, but it doesn't irk me like it did you. Yeah, I expected more from Dr. Poison because uh, she she was in uh, the first trailer uh-huh, trailer yeah. yeah yeah so i expected more from her but yeah she had a cool book too i gotta say yeah <laughs> yeah that fake mouth thing yeah yeah and finally we have justice league i have my issues with it the score is so forgettable steppenwolf is a weak villain and i'm not a fan of superman's resurrection but that can't take away from the smile i had on my face for nearly the entire duration of the movie when i saw it for the first time Seeing all those characters together in live-action film for the first time was an extraordinary experience. The cast is amazing, and there are so many fun moments between them. I give Justice League a B plus as well. Uh, I'm I'm actually shocked that he he didn't give it an A plus. Uh, <laughs> I mean I mean just the way he's been talking about uh, Justice League, uh, I'm surprised it's a B plus. So yeah, well I guess he. There are a few complaints he had in there with Steppenwolf, the score, and Superman's resurrection. So if we factor that in there, I guess the B plus sounds accurate. Yeah, I mean, I give the score some credit because it does it's does have that cool uh, Wonder Woman theme. So yeah, this, yeah, those are the only highlights of the old themes. Yeah. <laughs> Wonder Woman, Batman '89, and Superman. That's it. Like <laughs> Jordan says. It really is forgettable. I can't pinpoint anything that stood out for that from yeah. Danny Elfman's original score there. It's kind of like the um, Suicide Squad theme or yeah, <laughs> the score. Yeah, exactly. Like, did exactly. it even have one? I know. Like, yeah, it's, that's in the same boat. I can't remember any specific musical cue that wasn't, you know, soundtrack related. <laughs> but for the actual score, nothing yeah. comes to mind. Yeah, I just remember the licensed songs that they use. Yeah. Because there was so so much of it. I'm sure there's more of that than an actual score to the film <laughs> anyway, so. Yeah. It's, it's kind of reminds me of, I mean, Suicide Squad kind of reminds me of the, um, Expendables movies, you know, where, yeah, I could, um. I've never seen any of those Expendables movies, but I could, just from the trailers I've seen of those, I can kind of get where you're coming from on that. Yeah, I have seen, uh, those Expendable movies, um. And I cannot remember a single thing from it. <laughs> I, I, Not even I just, something so ridiculous or stupid. <laughs> yeah, I just remember the soundtrack. And it's the same thing with um, Suicide Squad, except Suicide Squad had Margot Robbie in it and uh, a really good Harley Quinn. Yeah, so at least it has that up against the Expendables for you. <laughs> yeah. Man, I saw her in uh, I, Tanya, uh-huh. the I, Tanya movie. And man, she's a really good actress. Same thing with uh, Sebastian Stan. You know, he's kind of one note as uh, the Winter Soldier. But seeing that too, yeah, yeah, he plays um, her husband. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, he's really good in it too. Huh. Um, yeah, I've heard the movie's really good. Yeah, like she, you said, her performance is great. Wasn't she nominated for a best act, best actress? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she's really good in it. Sebastian Stan is really good in it. Great script. Um, actually better CGI than Justice League. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because no, I mean, I'm curious. Of, of what, course, what, do they need, what do they need CGI for in I, Tanya? <laughs> <laughs> of course, Mar- Margot Robbie, maybe she can skate. 
but you can't do a triple axle, you know. So like <laughs> okay. they had like a they, they had like a professional ice skater do all of the the dance numbers, right? Okay. And so they CGI'd Marco Robbie's face on that actress or the the ice skater. <laughs> Better job than Justice League. I'm serious. No, I'm, I'm serious. I believe you. <laughs> it's, it actually looks. I mean, you can tell that it's not Margot Robbie. It's just Margot Robbie's face on another person. But better job done, I'd say. Yeah, sadly, I I trust your word on that one. Yeah. But, uh, you know what? I I doubt this is in the movie. I just remember you know watching the actual Tanya Tanya Harding during the Olympics. What yeah. was the '93? I think. The only thing I remember of that is her skating to the Jurassic Park theme. Do they have that in the movie? <laughs> no, no, they don't. They they, they, they have her skating. Um, well, I just, I just think they couldn't license that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's the reason. <laughs> but 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 they do have like most of her big ice skating uh, dances. So yeah, just no Jurassic Park theme. Yeah, that would no make the movie better. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, definitely great movie so if you like sebastian stan and you want to see him in something different <laughs> something <laughs> way way different then uh definitely see that movie uh i'll probably see him in infinity war before i get to i tanya but yeah. i'll keep it in mind <laughs> but jordan continues saying i haven't seen any of ava duvernay's previous work nor that of uh cairo salim's probably butchering the name but uh he's i think the writer penned to do new god so i don't think we mentioned that in our last episode so i might have either i missed it in the official press release or it came out later but Cairo salim as the writer says so i can't get too excited about either of them specifically being attached as the respective director and writer of a new gods film but i'm very excited about the new gods movie itself one disappointment i had about justice league is that it didn't really explore the fourth world mythology at all I mean, we saw Steppenwolf, Parademons, Boom Tubes, and Mother Boxes, but there was nothing about Apocalypse or New Genesis. All we got was Steppenwolf's name-dropping Darkseid one time, which I will say uh, I was thankful for if Steppenwolf even said that because <laughs> I was thinking maybe they wouldn't even mention Darkseid at all. So as long as they got one name drop, that was more than I was thinking. So one's better than none. If, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think they even get into the Mother Boxes themselves that much, right? It's just Not, sort of like a, a exposition flashback, right? Yeah, they do like yeah. explain what they could do like to the Earth and all that, but not their history and what they mean to so, like New Genesis and Apocalypse and all that and the mythology of it. So, right, yeah. right, yeah. Um, the fourth world is such a rich corner of the DC universe. I'm very excited that there is an entire live action film dedicated to it now in development. I think that this movie could set up Justice League three if that never if that ever comes to fruition. If it gets made, which I really hope it still does, Justice League 2 will likely focus on ju the Justice League fighting the Injustice League. And then I'm guessing that in a potential Justice League 3, Darkseid will come to Earth to finish the job that Steppenwolf started. The New Gods film could lay the groundwork for that. I'm not saying that WB should place mandates on uh, DuVernay to set up story threads for that. They absolutely should, shouldn't. They should just let her make the movie she wants to make. But just by virtue of it being a film about the New Gods, it would just naturally lead in nicely to Darkseid coming to Earth in a future Justice League movie. I will actually say that there's one thing that has me excited specifically for DuVernay's attachment, which is that she has said that Big Barter is her favorite superhero. That suggests to me that she has a real passion for the characters in that part of the DC universe, 
which I hope shines through in her film. Yeah, I think before she was even attached to this, like maybe a year ago, a few months ago, I think she just got a question, who's your favorite superhero and on Twitter? And she responded saying Big Barda. So it's definitely going to be a passion project for her, which is great. As Jordan said, that always makes for her. At least you hope for better movie making when you're passionate about the characters and the world you're dealing with. And I also think, I mean, your uh, possible outcome for Justice League 3 sounds great, Jordan. I would agree with that. But, I mean, I barely even think Justice League 2 is going to happen. So <laughs> I got to worry about that first. I still want to see that as well with the Injustice League or the Secret Society or whatever they're going to call themselves. Well, but, what's, what's the word on Justice League 2? Um, nothing. That's no, the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but Uh-oh. I agree that the new Gods film, it shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't make any mandates to do any connections at all, but don't leave it out of the realm of possibility that it could set something up. Like, you don't have to specifically do any lead ups, but don't paint yourselves in a corner where it can't be connected to the overall universe. That's all I'm hoping for with it. But we'll see what happens. You know, Warner Brothers' track record with this type of stuff isn't good. So. <laughs> Let's just get the new guys made, film made first before we start worrying about connections and all that where it ties in. But Jordan continues saying, I'm excited about the new Justice League roster in the comics far more than I am about Scott Snyder joining the book. It's really cool that it is largely comprised of the founding members from the Justice League animated series, which I think featured an excellent Justice League roster. I'm glad that Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz are gone. Well, I didn't have any issue with Simon other than I simply didn't find him particularly interesting but I am infuriated with Jessica right now. I think I remember you saying you dropped Justice League, Tim, so I'll fill you in. Yes, I did. So <laughs> I am totally out of the out of the loop of what's going on in Justice League right now. Um, but Jordan explains, saying, back in issue 38, with no explanation and no prior romantic buildup, Jessica just went and kissed Bruce on the watchtower. Uh-oh. It was absurd. Uh-oh. Absurd, all in caps. <laughs> oh <laughs> it's one thing for another writer on another book to not really acknowledge uh, the fact that Bruce is engaged in the Batman solo title, solo, solo title, <laughs> if I could talk, but it's another thing entirely to spit right in the face of it like Christopher Priest did. All we've gotten since then is Jessica mentioning to Simon that she kissed Bruce in order to get Simon to stop thinking about something else that was bugging him. There hasn't been any other explanation of what's going on. I mean, I'm not sure I want more explanation because I kind of want to pretend that that kiss never happened. But even so, it bugs me that it came out of nowhere and that it's been handled so nonchalantly. Anyway, with that said, I am very excited to have Jon Stewart joining the team instead. I'm also eager for Martian Manhunter to finally be on the league again. I've missed him. As for Snyder being the writer, as I've said before, he is hit or miss for me. And his work specifically with the Justice League and Dark Knight's Metal has been a miss, as I'll get to later. So I probably wouldn't be that excited about him coming on the book if I weren't so annoyed with Priest's run right now. But given that I am so annoyed with Priest's run, I'm actually looking forward to Snyder taking over. Yeah, you had two, like a rough couple of months, Jordan, with, you know, first the tease of the Wonder Woman Batman kiss. You dodged a bullet with that one since that <laughs> never happened. But then this happens with Jessica Cruz's Green Lantern. <laughs> but since I didn't read it, I'm sure it wasn't Batman's choice. I'm sure it was a surprise on him. Unless I'm mistaken, because then that would really be, I'm sure, a cause of more an issue for you. But if Bruce didn't, you know, expect it or do anything about it, then I don't think you have to worry about it too, too much, even though I can understand how it made you annoyed. This is the Batman soap opera. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm surprised <laughs> there's, not, there's not like, you know, business deals that went wrong. And, oh, you know, the girl, I mean, the, the woman 
that was behind that actually kissed Batman first. And, <laughs> you know what? This is another thing I got to bring up real quick. And I hope this doesn't come to fruition. I just saw a tweet about it today. I'm like, what? Uh, like this is a little bit before we started recording that the, there's a Batman Deathstroke comic, comic out right now. And it's suggesting that Deathstroke might be Damien's father rather than Bruce. Oh, and, no. <laughs> hey, this is going. Hey, this is another uh, a thing that ties back to Priest because he's writing that book, too. He's just out a panel today. I forget what convention it is. But uh, he was saying how, you know, let your voices be heard if you want Deathstroke to be the real father of Damien Wayne. Like, it's kind of almost like a jason todd live or die thing <laughs> like like if, if he thinks that the fans let dc know they want this maybe it'll happen but man i will be really upset if they do a retcon and they make deathstroke the father of damien that would be really really dumb in my opinion and like you said it'd be like the soap opera or like a jerry Barry. springer type yeah. show type thing <laughs> who's the father of damien wayne you got you talia sitting in a chair batman and deathstroke <laughs> on the one corner <laughs> it's like uh, don't do that, please. So I haven't read that book, and now I kind of don't want to. If that's the main thrust of it, but hopefully that is something that will not come to pass. Like that would be really, really dumb. But anyway, that was my I guess soapbox I went on <laughs> <laughs> after Jordan complained about Jessica Cruz. I'm complaining about Slade Wilson maybe being Damien's father. And then the next step is going to be you know Gordon isn't the father of Barbara. It's yeah. actually it's actually Bruce, you know. Like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> gonna have to get the DNA tests out, the paternity tests. Well, let's pretty much start a new Batman title called Batman DNA, yeah, <laughs> where we get all these revelations of who's actually related to, or or Batman paternity test. Yeah. <laughs> then you also that, have that could the, be the tie-in book. Yeah, and then you also have the the the, the tie-in to that, or the spin-off, which is the Batman maternity test. Yeah. You know, you might as well while you're at it. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, anything's possible in comics. That's the same. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of better comics, Jordan continues saying, "I love Batman number forty-three." Spoilers, I thought it was amazing how Bruce was able to take something he learned from his relationship with Selina to defeat Ivy. Bruce knows that he needs Selina, and he realized that Ivy also needs Harley. There are a lot of people who say that Bruce can't still be Batman if he finds happiness with Selina, and I vehemently disagree, of course. This was an example of Bruce's relationship with Selina actually helping him save the day as Batman. It was great. The end of the issue is the highlight for me, though. I love Bruce and Selina back in bed where they were when this arc began, reassuring each other that they'll be okay before kissing in the final panel with the captain that says, next, the wedding begins. It was so sweet. Next up, we got the wedding planning issue, and I couldn't be more excited. You know, I just had a, a, a weird thought that, and no offense to Jordan, Jordan, no offense, man. But what if, what if, it wasn't actually Selena this whole time. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh it, was, it was Clayface just trying to make his whole big plan thing. Well, I don't think Jordan has to worry about that because Clayface, as I talked about in my reviews for De- Detective Comics, has been dead or was killed recently. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's what you want to think. Or that's what Clayface wants you to think. That what if dead. it's... Remember that character, uh, Jane Doe? 
Yeah. Back. Well, uh, Selena would have to be dead, right? But, well, but, they uh, could make that shocking reveal. Oh, I guess. <laughs> like the wedding like, night, like, that could be it. <laughs> like, 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 what if this is just like a whole big scam thing on on Bruce and Batman? Yeah. That it's not actually Selena. It's like a shape-shifting guy or Jane Doe or Clayface. And that it's it's all just a big ruse. <laughs> oh, man. I, I can't imagine jordan's feelings that that would happen <laughs> oh man he would send us a novel tim yeah <laughs> a thirty thousand word <laughs> no it's the uh sorry jordan if dan calls you uh concern now and worry about what yeah. it might happen after the wedding <laughs> no i'm just saying because rather than just go through i mean maybe like the people in dc were like maybe instead of going through this whole thing where we gotta sort of break them up and you know every three like let's say three years from now we got to break them up maybe it's not selena you know and then this whole thing is just a big ruse on on batman and bruce wayne you know j- just so they don't have to go through the whole yeah. thing or like you know they break like up that <laughs> yeah yeah so and then afterwards the next series is going to be or event the search for the real selena kyle yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so it doesn't become a a uh, a Peter Parker, Mary Jane thing, or a, or a Lois Lane and uh, Clark Kent thing, you know. Well, or Superman, Cl- Lois thing, I think, has been good. But the P- Peter Parker, Mary Jane, oh man, did they do a retcon like that? <laughs> yeah. What was that called? Make- um, one more day or something. Yeah, one more day. And and, and what happened with that? Uh, to. He pretty much makes a deal with the devil, pretty <laughs> the, the character Mephisto in the Marvel universe. To, to I think if I remember right, the point of it was to make because Spider Man that was after the Civil War event, and he came out and revealed his identity to everybody. Yeah, and that caused Aunt May to get shot, and she was pretty much going to die. Yeah. So they made a deal with that to redo all that, so he never revealed his identity. Aunt May never got shot, but the cost was that uh, Peter and Mary Jane's marriage would end. And I, see, the part I'm having trouble yeah. remembering is if uh, they don't remember ever, like they never were married or if they just were not married anymore. I think it's that they reversed it to the way they never were married as if it never happened. I think that's what it was. And wasn't there like a follow up to that, like la- one last time or something? It was uh, one more day and then brand new day. I think Brand new day, right? But it didn't really fix anything. <laughs> and they're still not married. Yeah. Which I think is a shame. I always like the Peter Parker, Mary Jane relationship as husband and wife. This is a, a dynamic you don't see with superheroes too much without like having being married, which is why I'm excited to see how it works for Batman and Catwoman and see how that la- how long that lasts, which is why I'm hoping it lasts, you know, a good portion, not just a quick little thing that they retcon. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of remember, I mean, I don't, I, I don't remember much Tim, but I do remember, uh, Spider-Man fans being upset over that. Yeah. That they're still line. upset over it. Really? <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, so it's to today that that story has. Yeah, it's sticking. Marvel sti- keeps saying uh, they're not going to change it, but wow. And so, I guess the ways they try yeah. to make fans feel better about it, they've created like other continuity or Elseworld type stories where, or, or comic series where Peter is married to Mary Jane still. They have a child. Because that was the other big point of that story. In one more day, it was revealed that uh, once they're marriage never happened or got it raised the child that they were going to have never came to be as well so that was right. like a big thing but 
you know, cause people to be upset and all that. And so they're trying to make it work, but at the same time, not it's if it's not, not in the main working. continuity, it's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> it just really isn't. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so Spider-Man is coming on issue 800, so it's going to be getting you know a new status quo pretty soon, I think, too. So we'll see where that goes. Maybe they'll be married and then they'll just forget yeah. about this whole one more day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised it's lasted this long. I mean, you know, quickly comic book status quo change for yeah. characters. So I think it'll come back eventually. It'll, this might be Spider-Man issue 1000, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to wait 20 years. Probably. <laughs> But Jordan continues with On to Dark Knight's Metal number six. Spoilers. I really wanted to like this issue. I truly did. I wanted to like it to justify me reading the series. However, this issue might have been the worst one yet, in my opinion. I find myself thinking throughout almost the whole issue. Boy, am I glad this will be over in just a few more pages. This whole series has been incoherent and confusing and boring. But this issue was the epitome of that. I mean, there's no explanation for anything. There are these weird Joker dragons, maybe a reference to Batman's fear of snake clowns in the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> kind of doubt that, but it, at least you made some type of connection. Uh, they aren't explained at all. Batman throws these batarangs to his fellow Justice Leaguers that automatically give them suits of armor. Lady Blackhawk is able to save Carter Hall, and I'm still not sure what she did to do it. The Joker just randomly appears in the Batcave and battles the Batman who laughs. I'm not a fan of Batman teaming up with the Joker under any circumstance. Barbados is captured in a way that made no sense. Oh, and there's a point where Batman yells, Yeehaw! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was rolling my eye, my eyes through all this. Okay, now that I'm done complaining, I never want to think about this series again. Sorry to be so negative. I feel kind of bad about it too, because I just watched an interview with Snyder about where he talked about how it was one of his favorite things he'd ever written, and essentially talked about how it was like his magnum opus, and he seemed to be so enthusiastic about it. But it just did not work for me at all. As far as I'm concerned, the Black Mirror is Snyder's magnum opus. Now that's a masterpiece. Yeah, so I read this issue too, and I'm pretty much in agreement with you here, Jordan. This whole series in general was a letdown. Uh, like you said, a lot of things just was so convoluted, the story. Certain things you had was hard to make sense of at all. Especially the villain Barbados. He was never appeared to be that big of a threat, even though they you know implied that he was. I think the biggest problem with metal is that there were just way too many tie-ins you had to get to get the full grasp of the story. And I just wasn't going to do that with the story. I mean, I, I'm a big believer, probably more so, more so now than ever, is how when you have an event series, you really should just have all the main points you want in the actual series instead of getting all these tie-ins to get uh, the, to get payoffs later in the main series that, you know, to be invested in certain characters like Barbados or the Batman who laughs. I just wasn't with any of those characters because I didn't get the tie-ins and I don't think that should be the case. So yeah, it was disappointing overall. I will say the one thing I did like about it is the new status quo it put on the DC universe. I thought it was really cool to have the source wall be torn down and it's just, you know, going to expose the side of the DC galaxy and universe that we'd never seen before with new beings and all that. So I think that's going to be really cool. And that sets up probably what the new justice league stories are going to be. So I am excited about that. I think that was, you know, a good payoff or a good event to happen in a big series like this. But to get there with all this stuff going on with the, you know, dark multiverse and all these characters, it just didn't click for me like it did you. So I'm glad it's over as well. And let's just get to Justice League and hopefully more simple stories with that. And Jordan continues saying, I'll keep the spoiler free since I know you wait for a physical. 
But I have now watched Suicide Squad Hell to Pay, and I loved it. It's a hard R, nonstop thrilling road trip adventure with Task Force X, and it's such a blast. It's hilarious, but it also has some great action sequences and some very emotional moments. It's actually similar to Batman and Harley Quinn in some ways, which for me is a positive thing, although I know many fans don't share my love for that film. But with more action and taken a bit more seriously. There are a lot of amazing character moments, and there's really a cool twist in the movie that made my jaw drop, but that's all I'll say. It's such a fun ride. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I've heard that too about there being a pretty cool surprise or twist in the movie, and I just haven't been too excited about this one uh, for certain reasons. I said about it before when it was first announced about being another Suicide Squad origin story and all that, but I'm definitely going to check it out. At the very least, I'll rent it, and plus it's supposed to be Alan Burnett's final a bit of work he's going to do in DC animation as the writer. So, and of course, Alan Burnett was a big part of the Batman, the animated series. And I would like to see his final uh, movies that he's written, even though it's with the suicide squad. So I'll probably check it out probably mainly for that reason alone, but glad to hear you enjoyed it, Jordan. I actually heard it's been pretty good. So maybe with my lowered expectations for it and, you know, the good buzz I'm hearing, it'll, I'll be surprised by it when I do see it. So I'll let you know once I do. And I'll keep this spoiler free as well, but I just wanted to say I finished the final episode episode of Batman the Enemy Within, and it was amazing. Can't wait to hear your guys' thoughts on on it when you finish the game. Yeah, I'm glad Jordan brought that up, Dane, because I just finally got all caught up with it as well, <laughs> and I just finished it. And you definitely got to catch up on it soon, Dane. <laughs> it was really good. Really? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I saw the, the, the Joker becomes like your friend or something. It's all up to you, and that's the thing. I don't oh. want to say too much, but I think I said this in our first episode when we reviewed that one for season two, how I tried really hard in my decision to have Joker be my friend and keep him away from crime. But uh, I'll wait to tell you what my status was and how that all worked out <laughs> once you play it. But it's def- I don't know if it's as good as the first one. I don't Probably not, but it still had some great moments and a lot a lot more hard choices to be made as well. So definitely a good follow-up to it. Okay. And to wrap up, uh, Jordan has a couple of questions. He goes, who are your top favorite comic book writers? For me, it's number five, Paul Dini. Number four, uh, Bill Matheny. Number three, Brian Q. Miller. Number two, Jeff Loeb. Number one, Tom King. Yeah, this one for me, it was hard. I'm actually going to do five my top five that are currently working right now because man i would have to think really hard for all time just all the legends that <laughs> have been involved with comic books i mean even like i would have to say bill finger for the stuff he created for batman and then you got other comic book legends you know, denny o'neill len ween and some of the marvel writers chris claremont so this there, i'd have to think about it a lot <laughs> to really have a definitive top five but the top five current writers right now i'm going to go Number five, Tom Waltz, who's the writer on the TMNT comics by IDW, which have been phenomenal, as I've raved about again and again. So <laughs> no need to say too much there, except that Tom Waltz has done an amazing job with reinventing the turtles in comics. Number four, I'm going to go Kyle Higgins. I mean, he got off to a great start in DC with you know uh, Gates of Gotham and then his Nightwing run. But then he just killed it on the Batman Beyond 2.0 comics that were just amazing. And then he's continuing that with the current Power Ranger comics. So Kyle Higgins really has yet to disappoint me <laughs> with some of the stuff that I've been reading of his. He's been awesome. Number three, I'm still going to have Scott Snyder there. The Dark Knight's Meadow notwithstanding. I mean, the stuff he's done over the course of Batman, starting from Detective, New 52, 
and even with the rebirth stuff, you know, hasn't been all great. Like there was a period where everything he wrote was just great, but he's had some, you know, dips a little bit, but that's to be expected. It can't, all of his stuff can't be great, but still enough to be number three. Number two, Paul Dini. I mean, how can I not have Paul Dini on there? This is a, you know, just animated series stuff aside. He's written some great comics as well. Heart of Hush being a really great one that stands out. So got to have Paul Dini on there. And then number one, Jeff Johns. Uh, he's just written so much of my favorite stories. I mean, Green Lantern alone would have him on my list. But then like stuff he's done on the Flash. Flashpoint was amazing. Uh, his When the New 52, he did some great Aquaman stuff when that came out. This Justice League, his Justice League run I really loved in the New 52. And now it's continuing with Doomsday Clock. So Jeff Johns. He'd be, he just might be my favorite comic writer of all time, if, even if I were to do a list like that. So that would be my top five. What would be yours, Dade? Um, I'm going to give three. Okay. Um, Paul Dini because of Dark Knight. Dark Knights, sorry. Yeah. Uh, two, Hayden Blackman. Uh, and then one, uh, J.H. Williams. Can't say I'm surprised at those picks, but at the same time, they're great picks. <laughs> I mean, Hayden Blackman gets extra points, too, for his Star Wars comics that he did <laughs> years yeah. ago. So. He doesn't get a lot of credit for what he did for Star Wars. No, yeah, especially so, now since it's none of that stuff's canon anymore. But yeah. I loved his Django Fett open season story arc. That was really, really great. Yeah. It's right now still my definitive origin story for the character until we get another one because <laughs> that's all there is right now. So I'm going to take that. And Jordan's second question, similar to the first, but with comic book artists, what are our top five favorite comic book artists? And for Jordan, it's number five, Christopher Jones. Number four, Lee Bermejo. Number three, uh, Gillian March. Number two, Joel Jones. And number one, Jim Lee. And for me, uh, this is another hard one, too, but I hope it'll come up with five uh, current comic book artists, too. Uh, number five, I'm going to go with uh, David Peterson. And this is one who did a he did that series of Mouse Guard, but he's I, I love that art style. But then uh, he did some covers and some artwork for the TMNT comics that Tom Waltz writ, written back when they first started, and I just loved his art style. I think it's very fantasy based, especially with the look of Mouse Guard, but it fits the turtles perfectly as well. I mean, there's a cover of a Master Splinter issue where he just is a sewer surrounded by candles making a pot of tea. I just, there's just something visually about that piece of art that I just love. So I'm going to put him as number five. Number four, I'm going to go with Ivan Reese because I just loved his work with Jeff Johns on Green Lantern. He drew some of my favorite Green Lantern covers and just panels and splash pages and some of his runs, like in Blackest Night. A lot of great stuff from there, especially being a big fan of those Green Lantern comics and Ivan Reese, I thought, was the perfect compliment to Jeff John's storytelling with his art. And then number three, uh, this one's a more recent for me who I've gotten familiar with. I'm probably going to get his name wrong, but Marco uh, Cicchetto. Uh, he's been doing some work on the Star Wars comics uh, recently, and it's just been phenomenal. Uh, stuff on uh, Shattered Empire, which is one of the first comics that took place after Return of the Jedi. Some great art there. And then his work on the Captain Phasma comic, that blew me away. I mean, you know how much I love Phasma and her armor. And he just brought it to life in such a beautiful way in the comics. And it just really made me come to recognize his work and just to become a fan of his. So he'd be my number three choice. But number two, I got to go, you know, my top two are going to be, uh, you know, probably not surprises and iconic choices. But Alex Ross, 
as number two and then number one as Jim Lee, like you, Jordan. Those guys are just some of my favorites, especially when you talk about DC. Definitely different styles, but both great for what they do. But I just put Jim Lee at the top because I do prefer that more you know comic book art style than Alex Ross's realistic, as amazing as it is. I just prefer you know Jim Lee style just a little bit more. So those would be my top five. Uh, for me, uh, definitely Guillaume March. Um, four, I would go. Uh, hmm. You see, I, I I have two that are kind of equal. I just don't know where to put them. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so for these next two, in no p- particular order, Faybach <laughs> <laughs> um, and Finch. Mm. Um, Three, I'd probably put Finch over Faybach just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll say that. Then. Um, two. Uh, hmm. Who should I have for my number two, Tim? So I don't know if he's gonna be your number one. You know what? Okay, here, here's what's gonna happen. All right, but my final two are in no particular order because I like them both. J.H. Williams and Jock. That's who. I knew yeah. Jock had to be in there in one of them. <laughs> yeah, J.H. Williams and Jock. Yeah. <laughs> Probably J.H. Williams over Jock, I'd say. Just because J.H. You know Williams has like that sort of like... I don't know how to say it. Uh, he, he he has more artistry, too. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, too. It's kind of hard to where, describe, but I know what you mean. Where Jock is more, you know... He, he he looks more like a graffiti artist, mm. and I don't mean that in a bad way. So oh sure yeah, yep, yep. good picks to me. So yeah. <laughs> that's it for Jordan's email. As always, thank you, Jordan, for sharing your thoughts and for a couple of good questions that had to make us think <laughs> to <Yeah>. really <laughs> pinpoint our favorite writers and artists. So thanks as always for chiming in. All right, so now we can move on to our conversation. I mean, not our conversation. Our comic <laughs> book reviews. <laughs> yeah, we just did it. Um, our comic book reviews, and like we said at the beginning of every single comic book review, except for the last one, because I don't think we did. Um, there's going to be a lot of spoilers in this, so if you haven't read your books yet, you might want to re- do that first and then come back to this. Uh, but for this uh, episode, we're going to be reviewing Batman number 44, Detective Comics number 977, and Doomsday Clock number 4. Uh, and a rating scale for this episode is going to be, what was it, Tim? I know, I'm trying to think of it again, too. <laughs> uh, was it like more misery for the Oakland A's this season or something to that effect? Um, more stadium misery for the Oakland A's. <laughs> <laughs> In 2018. In 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right, Batman number 44. This issue is pretty much where we go wedding dress shopping, but in Catwoman style. <laughs> I, I really like this issue, though, because it starts off with, you know, Catwoman waking up in the middle of the night while Bruce is too, still sleeping. She sneaks out in her costume. But then we immediately get a flashback to the moment where her and Batman had their first encounter. And, you know, I just love how they're just capturing that first look of her in that green dress and her long, dark hair. Just from that very first comic in Batman number one. Uh, I'm just glad they're capturing that feel and they're putting that in the canon. That That's still how her and Bruce first met. And Tom King has hinted at that from the very beginning of his run, but I just love how it's continuing. That Every time they call back to it, it 
it, I just love it. <laughs> just calling back to the Batman number one. It's just a great little nod to do and put in the main story. So the issue kind of goes back and forth between the present of Bat of Catwoman uh, sneaking in and pretty much breaking into this uh, wedding dress shop because when she goes into the sewer, she plants some bombs underneath and makes her way into the shop uh, from underground to break in there. But over the course of the issue, as she's trying on wedding dresses, uh, we get flashbacks to different encounters that her and Batman had. And I just really like that about this issue because it really showed you know where at different points of the relationship they were at uh, throughout the course of the years they first met each other. I mean, there's one where, and also how the different looks that Batman and both Catwoman have had throughout the years, which is really great. And again, more great artwork uh, by, uh, again, you're probably going to have to correct me on pronouncing the name, <laughs> uh, Dane, but uh, Miguel Yannon, is it Michael Yannon? <laughs> I always get one of the parts of the name wrong, but Miguel okay. Yannon and Jolie Jones, I mean, they're just killing it on these. Joel Jones, years. you mean? Um, what did I say? Jolie. <laughs> okay, Joel. <laughs> one of these one of these reviews, I'm going to get their artist name. Right, but, I mean, re- regardless of how much I butcher their names, their art is just so fantastic. And it continues here throughout, you know, the present stuff with Catwoman trying on the dresses and in the flashbacks. Uh, again, sh- highlighting the different costumes that her and Batman both wore. Um, the purple costume with the green cape, you know, her just uh, green costume with the green mask. So all that stuff being shown in this issue again and the history of Batman and Catwoman's relationship. And I just like how it made a nice parallel and tie into what Catwoman's doing as she's trying on the different wedding dresses and how none of it is satisfying her. Uh, she just can't seem to find the right one. And so, I mean, she's getting frustrated. It keeps track of the time. too. I believe she left at two 30 AM in the morning and she's been trying on different wedding dresses until about six 30 until she finds the perfect one which is the one they revealed not too long ago where, you know, the top part of the dress is all black and then the bottom of, of it is white. Definitely unique, but fitting for a Catwoman, and she just thinks it's perfect. Um, and so at the end of the issue, we get a moment where, uh, kind of in the present time, but not right in the present, but I think to a point where Batman and Selina were engaged, where they just have this conversation where Batman keeps telling, where he tells Selina, you know, we keep changing. And Selena goes, outfits? Yeah, I know. He goes, no, not that. Just us over the years, we're never the same. And it's not just the outfits. And he tells Selena, what if we can't change? What if this doesn't work? Meaning if they get married, what if they just change and how they feel about each other again? Because that's what's great about the flashback portion of this issue. We get moments where uh, Catwoman shows concern for Batman as she saves his life from some falling debris. There's moments where she's fighting Batman and can't stand him and how telling Batman that, uh, she he ruined her life so just showing the ups and downs of the relationship that they had and batman is wondering if that's going to happen again once they're married but catwoman doesn't seem to think so she gives them that oh it's not like that it's just because we're always looking but if we're always looking we're if we're not always looking we're not going to change and batman's well if that's true then what are we looking for and she kind of ties it into the different costumes uh, they were going through and encountered each other in two she goes Yes, an outfit or a costume. It's just something, something that just fits perfectly, meaning they're just waiting to find the right situation for them to be totally happy together, which hopefully is going to be them getting married. And I think that's what that wedding dress symbolized for Selena when she found it, that it's just being perfect for her. And then 
her and Batman have found the perfect situation for themselves at this moment. So there's a lot of great stuff here, Joe highlighting the relationship they had over the years and kind of giving a visual representation of what it all means throughout their costumes and where they are now in, in the relationship of getting engaged and Catwoman getting her wedding dress. So a pretty cool issue. I'm going to give it four out of five new, uh, <laughs> see, I already forgot, new miseries uh, for Oakland and their stadium in 2018. Was that it? Sounds good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, really cool issue. And I did get the cover with Bruce looking at the mirror in his back costume. The one with Selena and her wedding dress is a little more expensive <laughs> as the variant cover. So I just stuck with the regular one, but still both cool covers. And now Detective Comics number 977. Uh, this one starts off, or just is continuing the Batman Eternal arc. But it starts off with giving us a look into the future and what uh, Tim was going to plan on doing by going to the Ivy University and really, you know, doing what he planned to do when he told Stephanie Brown about going to school and all that. But it gets a pretty much a rude awakening when there's a news report about the president ordering, you know, an attack against Batman and to take him in over at Wayne Manor. And some college, other college students tell Tim to look at the news and he runs to the TV and sees what's going on as he on the TV sees these colony ships going over Wayne Natter and he just goes into his room and rips up his red Robin, co- not rips up, but takes out uh, his red Robin costume and puts it on to get over there. And this next few pages is how it starts. It reminded me of the over the edge episode of Gordon and the police just getting into Wayne Natter and into the back cave because we see the colony soldiers in their masks, which are a little, not really similar, but it invoked the same thing as those SWAT officers and over the edge that broke into Wayne Manor in the back cave. And infiltrate in the Bruce's secret entrance to the clock and Batman's finding them in the Batcave until he gets shot in the back by Kate Kane. Uh, you know, not as Batwoman, but in a similar costume that she's working with uh, the calling now with her father. And, you know, he tells Batman to surrender and Bruce just tells her he knows that's not going to happen. And then we see her pull the trigger and shoot him right in the head. And Tim enters there too late, just saying, telling Kate, what have you done? And she says the same thing she said about Clayface what I had to do, exactly what I had to do. And then we, you know, get back to the present and it's revealed that uh, 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 Ulysses, if I remember his name, that character I really don't like. <laughs> yes, it's Ulysses. He was showing Tim this footage uh, from the future Tim's archives from his bat suit that he was able to get and just pretty much showing Tim what's going to happen. But he knows a way to prevent that bad future from happening and for Tim not to be like his future self which Tim, just as we know in previous issue, was so afraid from becoming that. So he offers uh, Tim a choice, you know, letting him know about uh, Brother Brother Eye and giving him the situation he needs to use Brother Eye to have a lasting peace and make sure what the calling and Kate does never happens to Bruce. And he, I like how James Tinian here even threw a Back to the Future reference because uh, Ulysses tells Tim, uh, this is a Biff Sports Almanac situation we got, <laughs> you know, so what do you say? Tim just tells him he has to think it over. And then uh, we get a brief moment with Luke Fox and his sister. You know, telling him about joining uh, the colony with Kate Kane. There's there's two soldiers here uh, that go up to their base to go back on their shift and enter into their soldier suits. But as they get into their their suits, a problem happens where the brother eye infiltrates their suits and takes them out of commission as far as, you know, operating it. So now brother eye has controls of these uh, colony outfits. But then another cool moment here was when Tim comes to Bruce as Bruce is taking out, you know, I guess this uh, criminal hideout. He's going to take out some criminals here. And Bruce, Tim comes in and tells 
Bruce that uh, well, first Bruce tells them, you know, Tim right away, I'm not going to consider uh, rebuilding the Belfry. And Tim's all I know. I just have to come to tell you that I saw something that really shook me up and I'm I need to be by your side tonight. I need to ask for your help. So I'm asking you for help. And Batman just <laughs> casually just says he doesn't say, OK, he just goes, well, you can start by taking the smuggler, the smaller guy on the right and I'll head towards the guy on the left with the semi-automatic. And Tim's all like, seriously, that's your response. And then Bruce just says, I'm glad you came to him or he says, I'm glad you came to me. And Tim's all me too. So let's do this. But before they're able to go into that criminal hideout. Those two colony soldiers that were hacked by Brother Eye just storm in there and just start shooting everyone up uh, with their automatic rifles, like big, really big time guns. And then we get the panel of Ulysses talking to saying, you just need you just have to see what I have to offer you, Tim. I promise this is all for you. So uh, pretty much saying that Tim's not going to go <laughs> with Ulysses's offer once he finds out he's behind Brother Eye hacking these colony suits. So, again, it's probably going to establish a more conflict between the colony, Batman and Tim. So uh, more good character stuff here. I like that future a possibility and the outcome that we've heard about, but now seeing how it finally happened was pretty cool. It's a great moment with Bruce and Tim here as well. So um, I'm going to give this one uh, four out of five uh, <laughs> new misery conditions in the Oakland Coliseum for 2018. And then finally, we've got a doomsday clock issue <laughs> after it's not like forever since issue three. And this one kind of takes a break from the main storyline, and we get pretty much the origin story of the new Rorschach, Reggie Long. And it kind of confirms of you know how he became Rorschach, what happened to him, and his background. And it is revealed that he is the son of Malcolm Long, Malcolm Long the doctor who was uh, Rorschach or Walter Kovacs' uh, psychiatrist when he was in prison. And the issue starts off with him being in Arkham because you know that's where Batman left him at the end of issue three, and. It just I like how it made his origin story definitely different from uh, Walter Kovacs Rorschach. Uh, I bought into it but at the same time. I don't know. It's kind of weird and hard for me to explain. I like the story. It was a good uh, origin that I was invested in for Reggie, but it just wasn't quite as special as I was hoping it would be as given, you know, the importance of Rorschach's mantle and him taking that up. It just didn't quite have that big like I said, it's hard to explain that big oomph to it that, yeah, this is like a great follow-up origin story to and Rorschach's legacy here. It just wasn't as great, I guess, I was hoping it would be for someone who's taken on, you know, that iconic mantle. But it was still definitely still good, and I enjoyed it. Just, you know, wasn't as great I was hoping it would be. But it begins, you know, with uh, as a Reggie, as a little kid, he says something I didn't like here. As his dad was telling him, you don't want to move here. You're a Yankees fan, right, Reggie? And he goes, I don't even like baseball. That made me sad as a Yankees and baseball fan. <laughs> but uh, we just get a, a little bit of his personality. How's he someone who was picked on and bullied, but his, he would never fight back. That just you know, wasn't his style. And as how his family, his mother was really concerned about the city where they're living in with Dr. Manhattan, what he can do, and how she wants to move. But his father... I really waiting for that big break and wants to make a name for himself as an author. And that break doesn't come until he gets the, in those sessions with Walter Kovac and with Rorschach. But you know, that's where everything kind of took a turn for the worst. And this issue kind of goes back and forth from the past uh, with Reggie as a kid. And then also him in Arkham. There's a few panels here that were cool as we see him going back to his Arkham cell, kind of being dragged and getting beat up as he passes Mr. Freeze's chamber. Uh, as we see him holding the ballerina, uh, that he had in Heart Advice. So again, little nods like that is still cool when we're getting a Watchmen story still set in the main DC universe. There's still little 
stuff like that still gets me excited as a fan of both. So I just love seeing that. Uh, anytime there's a moment like that in the issue, it's just uh, really fun to see. And so we get the reveal of what happened uh, once Reggie, after you know, Ozzy Man dies, put his plan to put his plan to fruition, caused that massive explosion and that alien monster to at the end of Watchmen. We saw it from Reggie's perspective while he was in the car. We saw that big bright light flash in front of him. And then we find out that as it killed, you know, tons of people, it, you know, those that left alive and messed with their minds and made them insane. So I pretty much had to drive uh, Reggie into uh, a mental institution for their most of his adult life after that event. And that's where we get, you know, panels going from the current time in Arkham and then back to his first time being into a mental institution here. And he gets a visit from a doctor in the current timeline in Arkham. And this doctor trying to ask some questions about Batman. You know, he's asking him, like, what do you know about Batman? Why did Batman leave you here? Is there anything you can tell me about the Batman? Um, so this doctor trying to get questions, and we'll get back to him later, which was a pretty cool surprise I didn't see coming. But uh, we just get uh, Reggie's monologue just saying he can't be locked up again, how that image of him being trapped in his car and everything that happened, it just, you know, brings back those bad memories and what drove him insane in the first place. So we get more of his history of him in his mental institution when he first got infected. Uh, there's this moment, uh, pretty much that changed the course of his life here, where he was going to go on the top of the roof pretty much to kill himself because he just couldn't take uh, what he was seeing. Like these, the effects of the mental il- illness just caused him to see people to see things that aren't there and just driving him crazy, and he just couldn't take it anymore. So he's going to jump. But that's where he runs into an old man about to jump too. But he goes, actually, I'm not going to jump. I'm going to fly. Then he reveals, you know, he has he created uh, these wings as a moth and he's going to fly out naked. And it is Mothman from the Minutemen, who we know was taken into a mental institution uh, in the original Watchmen story. But he does come back. You know, he gets uh, taken in by some orderlies again. But he forms a relationship with uh, Reggie here and he taught him how to cope with his mental illness by telling him, you just got to see what you want to see. Let that be your focus. He even trains him to fight, too. You know, of course, being part of the Minutemen, uh, he wants to train Reggie because he knows, uh, wants to give Reggie kind of a purpose as, to help him out during this tough time. And he's also, he sneaks out a few more times uh, over the course of the story. He brings back contraband uh, as his time out away from the mental institution. And once he does that, he brings back Reggie, his dad's file on Rorschach, and his Reggie just starts looking at that and becoming, you know, just more engrossed to his dad's report about Walter Kovac and everything he thought he was able to take from those uh, sessions they had. And then over the course of the issue, uh, we find out or learn how Reggie uh, saw and uh, Mothman about how Adrian Veidt got revealed to be the person behind, you know, the attack on the city with the monster and, you know, his whole facade and all that stuff. And that just gave Reggie, you know, more focus on what he wants to do. He has someone to blame for all the pain that caused him, you know, taking away his parents, messing with his mind, being in this mental institution. And then it comes to find out that anyone who was affected uh, by Adrian Veidt's plan, those that didn't kill and mess with their minds, the government wants to take those people in to see if they can provide any more information on Adrian's whereabouts. And so they were going to transfer Reggie to a new institution through the government. But before that happens, uh, Mothman is able, uh, they were able to plan an escape and to get out of the mental institution, but that wasn't Mothman's path. Uh, he was able, uh, he was going to go back because they caused a fire in the institution, which caused them uh, the distraction they need to escape. But 
uh, Mothman kind of, you know, living up to his name, a moth towards the flame. He just goes back into that burning building. And he wrote a Reggie a letter explaining, you know, this was something he had to do and it wasn't his purpose to be with Reggie at this point. This is, you know, something Reggie has to do. But uh, Mothman did all he could with training him, providing him with his father's notes. But he did one more thing. He left him Rorschach's mask that uh, he had. And that's where Reggie got the mask. And he's setting off to the Arctic to find Adrian to exact his revenge on what he did. So he's in Rorschach's mask, but he's wearing, you know, uh, a warm sweater, not quite the classic Rorschach costume. But uh, he finds Adrian and he's there to kill him. But once he's about to, Adrian explains the situation about, you know, he has a tumor now and how he just, you know, as he's telling Reggie to do it, he just goes, go ahead and do it. I am the monster. Like, and he realizes, and he tells him, like, what have I done? I saw the light too late. I'm sorry. That throws Reggie off guard, you know, in the mental state he's in. That's not what he wanted to hear, but he puts Adrian down and lets him live. And that's where we get, you know, as we know in the first issue, he was working with Adrian from the beginning. So we got how they first met. Adrian tells him about, you know, his plan to get Dr. Manhattan back and, you know, sets up to where they both teamed up to where issue one began. But another big portion of the story is where in the present time, as Reggie's still locked up in Arkham, he gets a visit or we see spread out through the course of the issue uh the lady jane doe looking at reggie through her cell and we get the reveal that it's actually satin girl uh from you know the legion of superheroes who jeff johns has been planting here and there and since rebirth we saw her there and she made a few appearances in some of the batman books i believe it was the i am suicide squad story where she showed up in arkham but now it looks like uh, we're finally going to get more uh, information about her as to why she's here and it looks almost kind of like she was here in this time waiting in Arkham for Reggie to be there. Like that was her purpose was to find him. And she opens his cell and it looks like they're going to escape together as well. But that's not who Reggie sees. Uh, as she opens the door, she just says, or he asks, who are you? And she goes to friend. And when she says that, he's seen Mothman in costume. I'm not going back to that point of seeing what you want to see. So it looks like they're going to set up for a team up. And hopefully get more information to Satter Girl's role in the story in Doomsday Clock, which is exciting to finally get those pieces laid out in Rebirth and expanded on here, which is always good. And then the last part of the issue, which was a reveal, probably I should have seen coming, but I didn't. That doctor who was there, you know, uh, there to be uh, Reggie's a psychiatrist and ask him questions. It was actually Bruce Wayne from the get go. He was just wearing a mask. Uh, as we see him in the back cave, we see that mask kind of on a stand and Alfred's telling him. You know, asking him what happened and how uh, how he found out anything. And it just makes sense that that's something Batman would do. I knew he couldn't just leave the new Rorschach Reggie in that Arkham cell and just leave him a B, not, you know, believing his story. I think Bruce does believe it, but he just doesn't trust this guy yet and everything that's going on. So he's going to try to get his answers in a different way and see if he responds to, you know, a, a doctor or Bruce pretending to be a doctor here. So I like that Bruce didn't just abandon reggie here he has his own plan and what he wants to do about this and get more information so i thought that was a pretty cool surprise so yeah disney clock number four like i said mainly an origin story for the new rorschach it was good but not quite as special as i was hoping it would be uh being someone to call himself a new rorschach but i was still invested it invested in it it was still a solid story but probably out of all four issues uh probably I don't want to say weakest because it's definitely not weak, but my least favorite out of the four. I'll say that. So I'll give this one three and a half out of five uh, misery and woes for the Oakland A's in the Coliseum in 2018. 
All right, so I guess that's it. If that's it. All I right. just got to wait another two months for Deuce in the Clock number five, which uh, I hate that schedule. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you can go over to thebatmanuniverse.net, facebook.com slash batmanuniverse, Twitter handles at batmanuniverse, uh, Tim's Twitter handles at timg311, my Twitter handles at danesaysbanana, um, our show's Twitter handles at batfanspodcast, um, and you can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. So with that, Tim, like we say at the end of every single episode. We love each and every one of these with all of our bad friends. All of our bad friends. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody. Show about you.